Thank you for listening to the South Bay Bible Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered family, and we want you to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for this week's message. All right, good morning. Thank you for joining us for Church Online. And we're in the season of Advent. We're actually in week number three of Advent. And the theme of week three of Advent is joy, joy, joy to the world. And uh, let me just be completely honest with you all right from the get-go. Um, this newborn baby is <laughs> is really kicking, my, kicking our butts. Uh, it's less joy to the world feeling and more, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. <laughs> More uh, Hosanna, Lord save me, than bless the Lord, oh my soul. Um, basically, we aren't sleeping. And <laughs> uh, yeah, Caleb is, we love him. He's a cuddly, fat baby, but um, he loves to wake us up at nighttime every hour. And so we are not sleeping. But, anyways, Advent week number three is joy. Joy to the world, joy to a dark and weary world, joy. The Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, ushers in a time of joy. And this is the week where we remember that, that light has dawned, that light has shone in a dark place, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is inaugurated through the coming of Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. And uh, even though we... Hello, Zach. Okay, can you say joy to the world? No, no, don't press that. Okay, go, go. <laughs> go, 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 go. Yeah, roar. Okay, let the dad have a big roar, okay? Let's go first. I guess I should leave that in. <laughs> uh... Joy? <laughs> uh, so, um, we'll just leave it at that, huh? Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Today, as we go forward in the Gospel of Matthew, we arrive at the baptism of Jesus. And it, it really marks the beginning of Jesus's adult life in this Gospel, but also the beginning of Jesus stepping out in the public sphere for ministry. And as we've gone backwards, um, you know, this is truly, this is truly the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. And I hope we don't really just gloss over the fact that Jesus was baptized today, because this is the extraordinary way that Jesus sets forth. And I believe this passage and this narrative, this story will encourage you and, and shape the way that you see God and what he requires of us, what he requires of you. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to the Lord, shall we? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for uh, joyful interruptions. I thank you for the fact that, God, um, you have given us um, a family that is seeking after you. And um, just the reminder that light has come, light has dawned, and that we are now living in the kingdom of God that has been ushered because your son, Jesus Christ, has come into the world. And so, God, let us not forget the fact that God, you did not abandon us. You did not leave us. You did not forsake us. But God, you made a way. You sent your son to die on the cross for us. And so in this season of Advent, we remember. We remember the love that you had for us. And we, we respond to that love in faith. 
and trust and surrender. Give us a, give us a word this morning, God, that can come from you only. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Matthew chapter 3. Um, I invite you to turn in your Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to go through this entire chapter together this morning. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says this, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so, Right from the beginning of this chapter, we get introduced to this new guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and we learn in other Gospels that um, he, his own birth and his own conception was another miracle of, of God. It was a ma- miraculous conception, uh, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a forerunner who prepared the way for Jesus that was foretold in the Old Testament. As it says here in the the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So the way that, that John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah was the was first to go into the wilderness, to go into the wilderness. He was preaching in the wilderness. And what did he preach? He preached repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent because God's kingdom is coming. And um, repentance for, in John's case, he not only preached repentance, but he lived out an illustration of what a changed and repentant heart really looked like. His life was an illustration. He dressed differently. If you look here in verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. Now, just stopping there, camel's hair, leather belt, not the typical clothing of a Jewish man at the time. In fact, camel's hair and a leather belt were were clothing that was uh, was more associated with people of a lower status, of lower socioeconomic status. And so, John's, the way that he dressed was countercultural. And then the food that he ate, locusts and wild honey, you might think, well, he was eating bugs and drinking honey. Um, Actually, that was pretty normal for someone in the wilderness. So, uh, locusts are a great source of protein. You might see it in all these different reality shows of challenges, but locusts are a cuisine. I mean, people eat it around the world normally. Um, And honey, I had a lot of honey this past uh, (laughs) uh, pandemic season, Um, just trying to stay healthy. <laughs> um, so, honey and locusts, normal food. But the way that he dressed, kind of weird. Camel's hair and a leather belt. He dressed differently as a rejection and an illustration of the trappings of culture that were um, ensnaring the people of Israel. Um, a rejection of wealth, of comfort, of cultural norms. His clothes and his overall lifestyle pointed to his message of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, 
It, the only way that I could really describe this is if um, I, you, most pastors, when they preach, they, they, they wear suit and tie, um, you know, the prim and proper. A lot of guys have the gelled hair like this. And you might have like a hipster pastor who dresses like a hipster. Um, but John, when he, John the Baptist, when he dressed up for ministry to preach, he dressed up as different as possible. Uh, where he did not fit in. The people took notice of what he was wearing because it was so different, like a rejection of everything. And uh, people responded to that message. Verse five, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing that, well, if you just go back, Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region, that's like the whole nation of Israel. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So, we see that John's ministry is not only gathering people, gathering attention, getting momentum, but it's effective. Um, his, his, his message is to repent. And what do the people do? They, con- they repent, they confess their sins, and they are baptized. Um, so, baptize, baptism, um, confession of sins. Um, let me clarify this a little bit. Confession of sins is really a, the inward sign of repentance. It's something that you do uh, in your heart to the Lord. It's an inward sign of repentance. But baptism is an external sign, an outward sign of repentance. And baptism in the Jordan River, how special is that? And not only that, the people that were coming to hear from John the Baptist, these were all Jewish people. These were Israelites. They come from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. That's Israel. These were Israelites going into the wilderness to listen and hear from his teacher, John the Baptist. And when they confessed their sins, they also were baptized. And in this day, and even today, it is not common for Jewish people to be baptized. It was a mark of extreme repentance. Um, Because the Jews, the Jewish people had a birthright. They were born into the chosen people of God. The the nation of Israel is God's holy people. There's no need to, to, to say no to their culture or their society. They were already a part of God's family. They were already a part of God's people simply by being Jewish. There was no bridge to cross, no culture shock, nothing to renounce of their old way of life because they were Jews. They were God's people. And, and, and so, we see that um, the Jewish people here that went to, to listen to John in the wilderness, they confessed their sins and they were also baptized. John's message of repentance really struck a chord. And even Jews who were already considered a part of God's people, the nation of Israel, they were also, they were repenting and rededicating their lives to the Lord. Baptism in this day was reserved in the most common sense for Gentiles, non-Jews, when they converted to uh, Judaism. And for a Jew to be baptized, they must realize, they must think that they have sinned so greatly that they are just like the Gentiles, that they are not living like the people of God. So, we see that John's message was effective. The way that he lived garnered attention. It was countercultural. And he preached a message of repentance because God's kingdom is coming. And this season of Advent, um, we like to talk about waiting, waiting and hope, hope, you know. Um, but as we wait, we're not just twiddling our thumbs, doing nothing, just looking up like, all right, God, just sitting here. We're not just doing nothing. God, as we wait, God will call us to repentance. I'm sure of that. 
as we wait, as we rest before the Lord, as we wait in hope, we think and set our hearts on God and think about the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ, at Christmas and also the second coming when He comes again in glory and judgment. As we wait and meditate on that, God will call us to repentance. We will repent over the sins of commission, the things that we do against the Lord, and we, we will be called to repent of the sins that, of omission, the things that we do not do in the name of the Lord. You know, how have we lived? I'm talking to us right now. How have we lived like we are the Lord of our own lives? How have we lived like God is not important to us? How have we uh, doubted God in times of pandemic, in times of shelter in place, in times of difficulty and trial? How have we tried to be self-sufficient and provide for ourselves? How have we tried to live for ourselves? How have we been faithless? How have we been godless, even though we go to church online? What is God calling you to repent of today? What is God calling you to repent of today? As we continue on, we'll see that a certain group comes and uh, we'll just read this together. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, and this is John the Baptist, he said to them, we'll just pause there. We'll, we'll just pause there for a second. And let's focus on this group here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So I just mentioned that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, they were born into the family of God, being the nation of Israel. They were God's people. And no one exemplified this more than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, we've, we've read about them as we've gone backwards through the book of God, the gospel of Matthew. And these were the opposition to Christ. And right from the beginning, this is the first mention of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John the Baptist sees right through them. We see here that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are interested in John the Baptist's ministry. They have come to the wilderness. They have left their, their place of power and influence in Jerusalem and the temple courts. They came to check out what John was doing here in the wilderness. And there's three, really three options of, of why uh, these, the Pharisees uh, would come and check John's ministry out. They could have good intentions and come. Uh, they want to repent and be baptized. And they could have neutral intentions where... Um, they're just curious, like, who is this guy dressed up weirdly and, and talking real loudly? And they, or, or the third option is they could have bad intentions. They come to usurp John's ministry or simply to, to win the favor of the people there, of the, of the crowds. And what we see here is John calls them out for their bad intentions. That's right where, where I was getting at in the middle of verse 7. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Oof. He calls them uh, brood of vipers, uh, which is not a nice thing to call someone. He's calling them basically a nest of snakes and uh, snake. And he's calling them out because of their, the fruit of their ministry. John is basically calling out their hypocrisy. Verse 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? It means that the fruit of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is not a fruit of repentance, a fruit of heart transformation, of, of re recognizing how you have sinned. 
But um, what does is, what is he call out? Do not think, verse 9, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. See, they're relying on their birthright. We have Abraham as our father, so we don't have to repent. So we don't have to do any of these other heart things because we have Abraham as our father. We have the lineage. We have the legacy. We have the bloodline that we deserve to be the people of God. We are the chosen people because we are born into it. But what's the amazing truth that John calls out here in the next the next just sentence here. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Amazing. God can raise out of these stones children for Abraham. God is looking for repentance. He's looking for repentant hearts, not just a a legacy of, of going to church or being religious. He's not just looking for legalism or religiosity. He's looking for the fruit of of repentance. And um, after this, John uh, differentiates his ministry from the coming Messiah's. He says, verse 10, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit, repentance, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And here's where he differentiates his ministry, what he's doing in the wilderness to what the Messiah, what Jesus will be doing. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a very fire and brimstone point of the, of the passage, but really it's an illustration of, of an agrarian society that would make sense to almost every single Jewish person in attendance there. Um, to describe this real quickly, the winnowing fork is like a pitchfork. And after you cut the wheat out, um, there will be wheat and tares and chaff. Um, and the wheat is heavier than the chaff. So what they would do is they take this fork and this pile of wheat and chaff, and they would toss it in the air, and the wind would blow off the, the lighter weight chaff, and the heavier wheat would fall down. So the chaff would blow off, and they, what they would do with it is throw it away. Oftentimes, they would burn it. So this is less of a fire and brimstone destruction, more of a very, very, very good relevant illustration of judgment, of people who respond to... Um, not just the coming of the kingdom, but, but John's preparation of repent, the message of repentance. And they say, no, we don't need to repent because we have everything together. We have Abraham as our father. I'm a good Jewish person. I'm a religious person. I'm a good person. I do not need to repent. Those people who reject the call to repentance will be thrown into the fire, just like the useless chaff. But those who produce good fruit, who repent, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They will receive the life that comes from the Holy Spirit. They will receive the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. They will receive the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and fire. These are two different things. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit reserved for those who repent. And fire is reserved for those who reject the call to repentance. 
the brood of vipers. All right. So, um, you know, this, this is a, a pretty heavy point of the passage, but, you know, thinking about this line in the sand of repent or face judgment, this is kind of, I feel like we're living in this moment right now where we, we don't have to try hard to get into that point where we see a line, repent or face judgment. It feels like right now we're living through judgment a little bit, right? And, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, I, the word exposed was really heavy on my heart where, where it felt like God was just using this circumstance uh, this this really hard, difficult, terrible circumstance to expose our idols, to expose our brokenness, to expose the systems that might have been unjust, might expose um, uh, hypocrisy in the church, it might expose sin and 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 just uh, evil within the church community. And so, this word "expose" was really heavy on my heart. But at the same time, the message that God exposes us, exposes his people, not to, to shame us or to, to wreck us, but he exposes us so that we can be clean, so that we can be healed. And when we are exposed, when our sins are exposed, when our weaknesses and shortcomings are exposed and laid bare before the Lord, we must go to the Lord in repentance and run towards God. When we are exposed, we repent and run towards God. We can't just be exposed and then try and run away and hide. That's like our human nature, right? To, when, when, uh, when we're embarrassed or we forget something or we mess up, we, a lot of us, are, if you're like me, you're conflict avoiders, you run away, you hide. But that is not what the Lord seeks. It's not living a perfect life. It's not perfection that that God seeks. It's confession, going to the Lord, running to the Lord in our brokenness, running to the Lord when we mess up, when we sin, when we doubt Him, we go to Him in repentance. The confession of, of sins, of our sins, and repentance, a changed life. You know, the changed life where we, where we stop sinning, where we stop doubting, where we stop profaning, when we stop uh, worshiping other things, seeking other things other than the Lord. The changed life is the fruit of repentance. But who produces that fruit in us? It is the Holy Spirit because we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have volition and we have will. Yes, we strive and we apply human effort um, and discipline to to be more more Christ-like and more godly. But the fruit of of a changed life, a transformed life comes only through the power of the spirit, only through the Holy Spirit. And human pride and hubris is the downfall. When we think that we have changed ourselves, that we have disciplined ourselves so that we are more Christ-like, we're no better than this brood of vipers. We have Abraham as our father. We have, we have, you know, I've developed this way to live and I've disciplined myself and I have this system and I, I can, and I've, I've become more godly because of what I've done, the way that I live. We begin to think that the success that we have in life, the blessings that we've received in life are something that we've earned. When we think that we've earned those things, that's when things get very, very dangerous, especially, especially for people like me in ministry, in terms of ministry especially in terms of family too. When you think that the family that we have, the children that we have, the parents and the the relationships that we have, we've earned those things. No, it is the fruit of God's spirit.
One way that the Lord has been really refining the church here in America has been the very, very public um, shame and downfall of of prominent and influential pastors, successful ministries. Um, I keep mentioning this. I've mentioned this probably like four times in the past couple of years. Um, I keep mentioning this because it keeps coming up, keeps happening. You know, but when we understand that, like in verse nine, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. When we understand that God can raise up a, a, a rock, a stone and make his will happen and make and accomplish his will, accomplish his ministry and make a people for himself out of a stone. When, <laughs> when our, you know, it's, it's not up to our spiritual heritage. It's not up to, um, you know, what kind of family you're in or you're brought into or not kind of, it doesn't matter what church you grew up in. <laughs> when we realize that none of that matters, none of that matters as much as the integrity of your faith. None of that matters as much as the integrity of your faith and the content of your heart. When we understand that, we really have a shot at honoring the Lord and living as the people of God. And God has graciously exposed the church for for our good, for our good, refining what it means to really be the people of God in this time. Let's keep going. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. We'll stop there. And here we get to the, the main point of this whole passage. All, this, all of John's ministry is leading up to this point, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, let's start here. Jesus came from Galilee. Jesus came from Galilee, not Jerusalem not from any important city. Um, He came from like the boonies. He came from a farm, a farm town, Galilee, um, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. He came to be baptized by John. And John, verse 14, rightfully, I think, tries to deter Christ, tries to deter Jesus, tries to talk him out of it. I need to be baptized by you. You're greater than me. How? And you come to me? He tries to talk him out of it, rightfully, right? But Jesus responds, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And we can't miss this part, that Jesus was baptized by John. Jesus was baptized by John. Let's not miss the heart of what Jesus is doing here. What is, I mean, just think about it. What is the rightful place of Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, wonderful counselor, all of these other things. What is the rightful place that Jesus had when he went out to the wilderness in front of all these people? And this guy, John the Baptist, preparing, preparing the crowds for the coming of the kingdom. And here comes the King Jesus. He comes into the, the wilderness, into the crowds. What is the rightful place of Jesus? You know, think of what he's worthy of. If Jesus is truly greater than John, and John admits this, right? The one who comes after me is greater than I. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. If Jesus is greater than John, he should have just come, taken over, taken the mic from from John the Baptist and just started going at it. Like, I'm here. I'm the king. Witness me, right? He could have easily done that. 
and and John would have been like that, you know, MC or the opening act of a band or a comedian, whatever it is. He's like, here's the one you've all been waiting for. It's Jesus. He's here. And then, yay. But no, Jesus says he comes from Galilee. He comes from Galilee. He goes to the wilderness just like any other person, just like the people in the crowds. In fact, he, he, the, the place where he comes from is even less significant than the place of Jerusalem, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees came from. He comes from a place like Sacramento. Don't want to offend anyone from Sacramento. He comes from a place like Chico, not even from San Jose, not even from Oakland or San Francisco. He comes from nowhere. Jesus rightfully, because he is God, because he's the king that ushers in the kingdom of God. He rightfully could have come up to John and started preaching, I am the Messiah. He could have done all of that. He could have taken over John's entire ministry. But instead, Jesus came to be baptized by John, just like any other person, just like anyone in the crowd. And a theologian, Leon Morris, says this, Jesus might well have been up there in front, standing with John and calling on sinners to repent. Instead, he was down there with the sinners, affirming his solidarity with them, making himself one with them in the process of the salvation that he would in due course accomplish. Amazing. This is an amazing truth. So before Jesus' earthly ministry even began. Before he could perform one miracle, before he could teach a single parable, before he could call one person to follow after him, Jesus already demonstrated the humility and the solidarity that is fitting of the name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, as he is obedient, to be baptized. Before he does anything for God, God expresses his love and pleasure over him because Jesus is the son of God. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. God the Father is pleased with the humility of Jesus as he comes into the wilderness from a place from nowhere and stands with the sinners in the crowd to be baptized by, by one of his own creation, by John the Baptist, just another human. Jesus humbles himself to be baptized at the beginning of his adult life and earthly ministry. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. God is God with us. God, Emmanuel, who stands in the crowd with us. He is God who, who raises his hand when a pastor says, who here has sinned? He is a God who doesn't cut to the front of the line or expect special treatment as king. He is God with us in our need of repentance and need of changed life, in a need of baptism. He came to be with us so that by his death, we could have life. The kingdom of heaven has come in the person of Jesus. So let's get our hearts ready for when he shall come again in power, in glory, and in judgment. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you. I thank you so much that you stand with us, that you are God, Emmanuel, that you are God with us. Let us not gloss over that fact. Let us not forget the fact that you humbled yourself, that you did not seek special treatment. Let us live like you lived. Because God, you are pleased at the way Jesus lived. You look at his life before he does anything for you and you say, this is my son whom I love in him. I'm, I'm well pleased. And God, that is our heart cry, that you would look at our lives and be pleased with us. So God, grant us humility. Grant us a heart of repentance and surrender to you. As you expose us, as you refine us, God, make us strong, strong to withstand the correction, strong to withstand Uh, the refining, strong to withstand all the ways that you want to purify us in our hearts and our motives and our thoughts so that we, God, can be strong and stand firm in your kingdom. So God, as we wait in this season, give us strength. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.